Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi there, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket, Simon Hughes and Simon Mann here and I hope you noticed our new theme music and that is a a product actually of an album I bought, the first ever album I bought which was Songs in the Key of Life by Stevie Wonder, my favourite track on it, I Wish and I'm wishing for a lot of great things from the England team this summer. I made that track in a studio of a great friend of mine, Matt Cooper, who's a musical director and star performer in the band Incognito, and his studio in West London is so kitted out with amazing stuff. We put this track together, and there's actually a video on the Cricket Analyst Facebook page showing you a little bit about how we put the track together. There's even a little bit of piano of mine actually on there, but it's a bit one-fingered, but uh, still, I suppose you could say I've contributed to it. And Facebook page, Cricket Analyst, please get engaged. Yeah, if we'd like to invite you to be part of our Cricket Analyst Facebook page, anyone can join. And also, if you've enjoyed this podcast, please tell someone you know who might like it as well. Now, plenty to talk about this week. We're going to hear from Dave Richardson about a new global strategy from the ICC. Well, that sounds all, you know, jargonistic, doesn't it? New global strategy. We'll tell you what it means, and it might mean something significant for the game in the future. We'll also talk about the forthcoming test series between England and Pakistan with those selections from Ed Smith last week. Some felt they were quite bold. We'll also talk about Colin Graves. Well, let's talk about Colin Graves now, shall we? <laughs> well, you can't wait to talk about Colin Graves. You, you're the guy who's sort of incited a, a bit of a media furore after the interview that you did with him. I, I feel a bit sorry for Colin Graves, actually, because you know he's been brought in, in a way, to, to kind of sort of up the ante a bit and get cricket sort of up with the times, and he, the trouble is, I think he cares passionately about the game, and he's actually very generous as well in, in his time and some of the money he's put in as well, 
but some he's just prone to ill-advised comments which invite ridicule. But yeah. I, you know, I think that camouflages the fact that underneath he's trying to do the right thing. Yeah, I don't think he's someone who's come in who's unwilling to ruffle feathers. I think that's fairly clear. You know, I, I think he's, he's he's happy to do that. I mean, he's, he's done it, hasn't he? We're, we must have this new competition. It's going to be called the hundred hundred balls, which you know, a lot of people don't seem to like. Although that tends to be cricket traditionalists who who like the game as it is. I think Colin Graves' point is it it needs to change. Now, you could argue his his interview last week was what he said about youngsters not liking the game at all was was ham-fisted. And, of course, what's clear is youngsters do like the game. There were 5,000 people at the Oval for a a one-day match at the end of last week. Thousands are signing up for all-stars cricket. But I think there is a germ of truth in what Colin Graves is saying, and I think he needs to be. I say he needs to be listened to. People have sort of switched off what he's trying to say. But the point is, cricket needs to wake up, and it does need to understand that it does have a problem. It does have a problem competing with other sports. It does have a problem getting the message over to young people in general that cricket is a great game. It's worth watching. It's worth playing. It's worth engaging with. It's not happening in sufficient numbers. I think that's the point that Colin Graves was trying to make. Clearly, he didn't make it in the way that, perhaps on reflection, he would have liked to have done by saying boldly, you know, young people are just not interested in cricket. That's that's not the case. But you have to accept that cricket is not as popular as, well, certainly you or I would would, would like it to be. And and in that case, you know, don't just don't just denigrate uh, Colin. Don't just you know dismiss him. It's it's a point worth investigating and worth interrogating. Can cricket be more popular than it is? I think it, of course it can, and it, and it must be to survive into the future. Yeah, I, I totally agree with you. I, I think that the trouble is, if this 100 tournament is only targeting young people, families, etc., especially with this massive emphasis on getting young people interested, it's a dangerous strategy because, as we both know, with fathers of you know fairly young people, their concentration spans are poor and also their interests fluctuate wildly they'll be interested in something for a week or two weeks or you know an hour and then suddenly they move on to something else so to actually focus your whole strategy on capturing this new young audience is i think is 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 dangerous you've got to try and make sure everybody's interested in it which means it has to have some kind of cricketing relevance and so the the suggestions that this hundred you know might not have lbws and trying to sort of simplify the game i think is completely foolish it's still got to be basically cricket but the idea actually of a hundred to me makes a lot of sense because it's a round number everybody's strike rates are measured in hundreds and actually, I think the time frame will be good and it'll work out. And obviously, what they want to do, the ECB, is have something that's theirs, that's individual, that they thought of, that they can kind of own. And in a way, I think it makes a lot of sense. And actually, the more people I've talked to about it, you know, quite a few people coming around to it. I mean, I've talked to club players and people like that over the last week, and actually, quite a lot of people quite like the idea. I've got no idea whether this tournament will work or not. No idea. And, and, and no one has. But what I would say is I can see why the ECB 
are doing it. And one other aspect as well to this is that I think there's a feeling that 2020 cricket has become a bit of a, a beer fest, if you yes, like. There's, yeah. there's, there's a huge drinking culture mm. around 2020 cricket. And actually what what they are trying to do is, is shift the emphasis, shift the emphasis to something like the Big Bash in Australia, where that, that culture, you mm. think, oh, it would bound to be in Australia, it's bound yeah. to be that sort of culture. It, it's not as much. It is, it is families, children... Mm. Going along to to watch the cricket and and you know and enjoying it is a di- it is a very different atmosphere and I think that that's what they're looking at now I'm I'm not trying to I'm not being an apologist for the ECB what I'm saying is I can understand why they're doing what they're doing and mm. it's easy just to just to dismiss it all you know Colin Gray he says these ridiculous things and uh, you know it's it's not cricket it's you know it's just a gimmick and all that sort of stuff but what would you do what would you do to make the game more popular and to grab people's attention in this country, because as, as you say, Simon, you know, it is easy just to lose attention. You can just go on to something else so quickly. Well, I tell you, I mean, I'm going to inter- interrupt you there because I'd say that, that all the people that I've met under the age of thirty who are interested in cricket, who ne- didn't necessarily play it at school, you know, in their sort of teens, they say how they got into cricket was the 2005 Ashes. I get, I get that probably once yeah. a week from somebody saying that I got into cricket because of the 2005 Ashes, because of the narrative, and obviously because it was on terrestrial TV and there was this unfolding story. And that's what captures people's interest. So if they can make this new tournament an unfolding story, something mm-hmm. that is easy to follow and kind of draws people in, at the moment there's about a million people that are captive cricket fans that want to watch the game. You can judge that by, say, the audience for the Channel 5 highlights, which hovers around a million people, and they're sort of people who really want to follow the game regularly. And obviously there's uh, the the audience for a T20 year in the the blast is about a million or 900,000, something like that. Obviously a lot of those are the same people. So, you know, a million people is round about the rough figure of people who are genuinely interested in cricket. So what they've got to get that to is two and three million, which you do find during an Ashes summer. When the Ashes is on, three, four, five million people might tune in, especially if it's on the BBC or maybe on radio. That's what they, they're looking at, trying to get those people more regularly interested. The other thing about the 100 as well is that when T20 started, that was ridiculed as well. I was listening to Steve James talking on, on, the, on the radio the other day, actually, and he was saying that, you know, we, we didn't even discuss it at the, at, the, at the start of the team meetings, at the start of the season. We didn't even discuss T20 that summer. It, it just wasn't even an issue. You know, sides go, oh, we're going to put our, put our second team in T20. And obviously, there's that been huge transformation. The point was that... T20 works it, it does work now and so everyone's saying well why are we having the 100 then it's just gimmicky it's just you know changing what already works and that, and that was when Colin Graves then said well you know we have to accept that people young people are just not interested in cricket which is I think you know in retrospect if he thought about it again he would have framed that in a completely different way saying what well, you know we just need more people because we're not we're not engaging enough people enough young people at the moment I think that's what he that's what he really should have said and that's what I think as well. I don't think we are engaging enough young people in the game of cricket. And if we don't engage more, then the game will wither. And that is something to be taken seriously. Well, I think with the, the T20 story in mind, that's a good link to the selections for the first test starting on Thursday at Lords, particularly in view of the call-up of Joss Butler, who has been phenomenally successful in T20 and particularly recently, five fifties in a row for the Rajasthan Royals, opening the batting, having languished down number five and six for a while. Now, I don't know if you're interested in 
the IPL. You may not be, but Butler has been one of the standout players over the last two or three weeks, and he's competing against the likes of Virat Kohli and A.B. de Villiers and Chris Gale and so on, and Butler has been one of the star performers. And those other guys that I mentioned there, Kane Williamson's another one, that they've played many, many test matches and are stars in that format as well. Butler hasn't, only 18 tests. Not a bad... Average, actually, 31. He his... started well, though, didn't he? He started well and then really tailed off. He had, a, he had a good first series. But I like the idea of of having him in the test team, not just for his entertainment value and his outrageous skill, but actually, I think, as a number seven, as a sort of wild card, in a way, a bit like Moen Ali actually has uh, performed in the past, because they've got Ben Stokes at six and Johnny Bairstow now at five, the kind of all-round as the engine room of the team... That does give you the scope to play four bowlers and another player who has this sort of roving role, a kind of X factor, if you like, at number seven. I think Butler fits that perfectly. He's got the ability to take the game completely away from a flagging bowling attack. We've seen England often 200 for five, 180 for five. I think Butler, given his head, could actually can help transform that into a healthy score. And England have only made 400 plus five times in the last 26 test innings, I think Butler could be a route towards greater productivity by the England batting unit as a whole. I know it's against the red ball rather than the white ball with slips and different field settings, and he may try to uh, approach it in a different way, but in a way I don't think he should. I think he should try and play his natural game, and hopefully that's what he'll be encouraged to do. I think two things I would say about it is, one, when Joss Butler walks out to bat, Everyone pays attention. You know, in the, if you're in the commentary box, or oh, here's Butler, you you watch because he's he's that sort of player. The other thing I would say about him is look at his record in red ball cricket. You just mentioned it; it's not that good, and it, it is a an interesting selection. Um, what I think, what I think is actually fascinating. People say, "Oh, Ed, Ed's come in. He's, there's lots of these bold selections." The team hasn't changed that much. It's, it's essentially, mm. it's essentially the team that went to Australia and lost. That went to New Zealand and lost. There aren't that many changes, and Best is only in because Leach is injured. So, in, in a sense, it was only really one change. It was Butler. For Vince, yeah. that's, that, that's all it is. It's not. Yeah. It's not that radical. A bit of rejigging of the batting order. Yeah, that's true. Uh, Root did bat at three in the first test in yeah. New Zealand. Uh, Bairstow's pushed up to number five. He, he's, of course, he's good enough to bat at number five. Of course, he's good enough to bat at number five. Is he good enough to bat consistently and long at number five if he keeps wicket? I think he is. I mean, there will be times when there's a long stint in the field. And then England lose a couple of early wickets, and obviously he's got to have his pads on. Uh, that, that is hard, and Alex Stewart found that hard in the in the past. But Bearstow's a very fit guy; he's a very ambitious guy. So is Alex Stewart. Yeah, no, it's it's going to be hard, but I, I, I hopefully, and you've also got the option of having Butler to keep wicket if Bearstow's had a, a long innings, say, uh, one hundred and fifty or something like that, and his last man out, and then England will get straight out and field. He could give the buzz, gloves to Butler. How often? How often? I do knew you see, say How that. often do you see that happen? Well, though? you know, it's a good idea in theory. It is. I agree. I agree. Actually, I did see it happen. I so said, "How often do you see?" It? I did see it happen in the in the tour match at Northampton between Pakistan and Northamptonshire because uh, Adam Rossington was keeping wicket some of the time for Northamptonshire, 
and a young chap from South Africa called Vasconcelos, Ricardo Vasconcelos, kept wicket for some of the matches as well. And they were alternating. So it, it, so it does happen. Well, and actually, more and more as well, you find wicket keepers are some of the best batsmen in the game. I don't know why that is. You know, Ben Folks and Ollie Pope at Surrey, for instance, are both wicket keepers. Yeah. Before them, it was Kumar Sangakara. You know, and a lot of the other most talented batsmen around, Butler being one, Sam Billings another, you know, they're all former keepers. Whether it's that keepers watch the ball a little bit more precisely because of their job as keeping and therefore that migrates into their batting I don't know but certainly England and I have to work hard in this test little test series because this Pakistan bowling attack is not bad mm. I like Mohammed Abbas who's a right arm seam bowler he's 27 28 years old you look at his record in first class cricket he's got over 300 wickets at 20 in Pakistan I mean, that is phenomenal. And he's only played six tests, but he's already taken 30-odd wickets at about 18 or something. Some of those were the Irish, obviously, in that first test in Dublin. But he's a, a bit of a handful, and they've got two good left-armers as well in Mohammed Amir and Rahat Ali. So, you know, they will pose problems, plus the Shadib Khan, the, the leg spinner. They are going to pose problems to the England batting order. And I, funnily enough, I ran into David Milan at Lords the other day, and he was saying, well, I haven't had much cricket since New Zealand because mm. I was, wasn't allowed to play in the first couple of rounds of the championship. I haven't been in, uh, allowed to play in these Royal London games this weekend. Uh, so actually, I've only had four knocks since New Zealand and I'm feeling a little bit slightly rusting. And I said, look, you know, don't worry about it. You'll be fine. You, you've got the talent. You know, I think batsmen get almost conditioned to try to practice too much and they feel if they hadn't it. 2,000 bulls before the first test that they're not prepared properly. I said, look, use your talent. Your talent's fantastic. You'll be fine. And he went, well, yeah, probably. So hopefully, so, <laughs> hopefully you so, will be. So when he gets 100 on the first day, what's the headline going to be? Yozer inspires Milan to, <laughs> to test 100. It, it's going to be Milan's a damn good player. Yeah. And I think he is a, a good player. And I think sometimes batsmen get almost sort of ainly retentive about mm. the number of balls they have to hit, the amount of different drills they have to do before they're properly prepared. It's got worse and worse over the years because they've got more time to prepare. And, you know, in the olden days, we used to turn up at 10, 10.30, have a couple of biscuits and get out there, really. And I think sometimes it's better to do that because you can sort of you can t- twist yourselves in knots the amount of time you practice. Mohamed Abbas, uh, 320 wickets in first-class cricket at 20.95. I mean, in Pakistan, mm. that is pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, I've seen him bowl. I've seen him yeah. bowl a bit because I saw him the match at, at Northampton. I watched the Ireland game on the television. Yeah, he's, he's not he's not lightning no, quick, but no. he's, sort of, he's sort of at you, quite a skiddy sort good, of bowler. Good bowler for early English yeah. summer conditions. Yeah, and I just wonder about their batting. Mm. Yeah, well, that's the, that's obviously going to be the issue. A bit of an experience, as, yeah. Though. And England have got the right sort of bowling attack to exploit that. I mean, Jimmy Anderson is salivating over bowling in early season conditions. Stuart Broad's done a bit of work on his action. Obviously, Chris Wokes is a, is a fine bowler. Hasn't had an awful lot of bowling either in the IPL. And, you know, it's it's not easy coming straight from T20 to, to playing a test match. It's, a, you know, mm. different lengths, different sort of ball. Quite often, you get used, actually, when you're bowling with a white ball, which doesn't swing, you get used to bowling a particular line. And then you get hold of the red ball and it swings all over the place, and especially in England. And you sort of can't control that for a little bit. So it takes a bit of adjustment. You say Chris Wokes. Well, Chris Wokes didn't play in the last test match. He was left out in Christchurch. So does Wood keep his place? And is it best for Leach? Or do England go with five right-arm 
seamers. Uh, now, that, that sounds like a ridiculous suggestion. I remember a series in the UAE when England, England last played Pakistan over in the UAE, away from home, where the seamers went for two and over... They came off, spinners came on, and the Pakistan batsmen thrashed them all round the ground. And I actually thought, even though it was 35 degrees, England might have been better off playing five seamers in that series rather than actually playing two spinners as they did. So, so is it possible? Is it possible? Because you know Stokes hasn't bowled a great deal with the red ball, and Wokes hasn't bowled a great deal with the red ball. England might go five seamers and no spinner? Well, I would do that, actually, uh, because, firstly, the conditions tend to suit that early season and we've already had Dan Weston on this programme saying that spinners take their wickets at about 50 at Lord's early season whereas seamers take their wickets at 25 and the other reason is that actually England have got a couple of spinners in their attack they've got David Milan who as I say I I spoke to the other day and I said why don't you bowl more Mm. and he said well actually I'd, I'd like to bowl more he bowls some good leg breaks and also Joe Root and you know it's funny but when you're captain and you have this ability to bowl, but you don't necessarily know when to use it. And I think Joe Root should use himself a lot more. You know, he's a very useful bowler. And he can really just break up that relentless seam attack with a five, six, seven over spell. He's also got Milan too. The Pakistanis are very good players of spin. But they won't necessarily have seen much of David Milan or Joe Root, actually. So I think those two are valid spin options. And I would play five seamers. And that's incredible in a way, isn't it? When you say we're going to, there's the possibility of playing five seamers, but the, the way the team has been selected, it, 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 it is a viable option. Traditionists would be saying, the real traditionists would be saying, you've got to have a spinner in your lineup. The only issue, the, the only big issue for me, of course, and for many people, will be they won't get the overs in. <laughs> so we'll be there till half six as usual with about 83 overs bowled, and the punters, the spectators, are going to be denied. A number of overs, but if the pitch has a little bit in it, I'm sure we'll get a finish sometime on Sunday or early Monday. The last Lord's Test, the ball spun like a top. I've never seen anything like it before. 19 yeah. wickets on the final day, England beating South Africa. Good memory. Maybe that it was just a particularly dry April. Hasn't been a particularly dry March and April this time, and they've done well actually to to get the ground as fit as it as it's been. And the seamers have been holding sway until the last week or so. Okay. after the break, we're going to hear from Dave Richardson, the chief executive of the ICC, on their new global strategy. We'll try to put some flesh on the bones of that. Hi there. Welcome back. And don't forget, this podcast is now in association with the Cricketer magazine. And you can get 20 percent off your subscription to the magazine if you go to thecricketer.com forward slash podcast. And there is a form there online that you can fill in to get the next issue. The next issue will be out in about four days' time, and it's got lots and lots of interesting stuff in it, actually, particularly featuring the West Indies, 90 years since the foundation of the West Indies as a test nation. And talking of test nations, we've had a new test nation this last couple of weeks, with Ireland coming into the test fold. And I was in Dubai last week to uh, do some business, but also I did an interview with Dave Richardson, the chief executive of the ICC, And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to him was there's been lots of stories recently about the future of the game. We've had Brendan McCullum Mm. saying, you know, last week that Test cricket will die in 10 years. And I sort of sensed from talking to Richardson and from reading around the subject a bit as well that there is a, a sea change in the ICC and they're looking to try and really properly grow the game, which is obviously long, long overdue, but at least they're doing it better late than never. 
Yes, and of course, they've had quite a lot of criticism over the, the World Cup, for example, which has been reduced to 10 teams. And there have been critics saying, well, how can this be the, the body in charge of the World Game shrinking when it's major competition rather than growing? I think what, they, what they've said, and, and they see... I. They see 2020 as the way to, to grow the game. And people will say, well, why? You know, that, and, and what does that mean for Test cricket? But I think it's right, actually, to use T20 as the means to grow, to grow the game for the simple reason that to play Test cricket, you need a lot of resources, mm. i.e. money, really, because you need a proper first-class structure, you need a lot of grounds, a lot of teams, a lot of players, basically, and you you know the best team will generally win a test series whereas actually you don't have to be an outstanding team to win a t20 tournament look at the way the ipl has fluctuated and the best team which is often the royal challengers bangalore they still haven't won the tournament even though the most expensively bought team with the, the highest profile players it's not t20 all about just the star players it's about how you play the game it's about opportunism it's about you know, grabbing your moment it's about somebody coming off you know, almost an outrageous kind of innings at times. Look, someone like Chris Lynn plays for the Australians and, and plays for the Kolkata Knight Riders. He's a slogger. And sometimes he comes off and plays a brilliant 50 and sometimes he's out second ball. The associate nations will have a number of those kind of players who can set the game alight or can be totally disastrous. And I think if, if, if cricket is to really extend itself beyond those 12 main countries that it's performing in now and playing in now... T20 has to be the vehicle, and ultimately to get it in the Olympics. So a new global strategy from the ICC, which will be announced later this month. There are there are eight main points, a big focus on women and girls cricket. And Dave Richardson told you why they're doing it. At the moment, one and a half million people play cricket outside of the full members. That's Tiny. pathetic. Uh, bearing in mind that we, we estimate at the moment there's probably like 600 million playing cricket worldwide. But 90% of them are in, the, in the Pakistan, Bangladesh and yeah. India. Yeah. And certainly outside of the full members, we need to increase the numbers. So one of the goals, I'm sure, one of the objectives of this new strategy will be that must go to 10 million. Women and girls... No one really, everyone's just doing things on an ad hoc basis. Okay, a few countries are ahead of the others, but generally we see, okay, Australia are doing much for women's sport, let's do something in India, you know. But if we had a global strategy where everyone knew that that's a key focus area, that's, that's what we want people to buy in. 40% of our viewership generally is female. That's right. not only women's cricket, it's across all cricket. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if we want to grow the number of fans and the number of people watching the game, women and girls are key to it. You say there's eight um, sort of strategy points or whatever, and obviously mm. one of them is this growing the game through T20. What about the test format? Mm. Brendan McCullum's being the latest ex-test player quoted as saying mm. test cricket is going to die. I mean, it's, I'm sure it's something that vexes you every day. Mm. What, can, what can the ICC do about that? Well, I, I think what we can do is, first of all, make sure that the... First of all, at this context. So I think, although maybe uh, we would have preferred a competition structure that's a little bit more black and white, everyone playing the same number of matches, etc., etc., maybe promotion, relegation, what we've got is a nine-team league. 
six series, each team's playing, each team plays six series over two years with a final. Now, I don't know, if it was me still playing, my goal would be to be in a team that played in that final and come to London or wherever this final is for 10 days where, I mean, you can imagine the, the kind of hype that could be created for cricket and uh, uh, not just on the field, but just with sp- sponsors, functions, and goodness knows what going on, similar to the Champions League football final, that kind of vibe. And to say that you are the test champions of the world, to me, would be something really worthwhile putting on your CV when you retire. So that's from a, from a playing perspective. Um, but I, I realise that in most parts of the world, test cricket is uneconomical to run. They, they, unless you're playing against India or you in the Ashes, or hopefully in some of these series as part of this championship, it will, it will generate enough money. But television companies are not paying the same amount of money as they used to. Certainly they're paying as much for a T20 game as a test, therefore why not just play three T20s instead of one test? So it does have its challenges, but there are enough countries that are interested in cricket at this point in time who want to keep playing test cricket. There are enough players that want to keep playing test cricket that, to my mind, it's not going to disappear that quickly. Is it a question of perhaps having to subsidise countries? Uh, Yes, but that's also uneconomical in the long run. Uh, you want all cricket to be sustainable. But as I say, in nine countries, there's no doubt in my mind it could be sustainable. Whether that stays nine countries forever and a day, whether it suddenly catches on and gets a new lease of life and we add Ireland and Afghanistan and Zimbabwe make a comeback, well, all, all well and good. But even if it stays at nine, maybe even drops off to seven, ten, twenty years' time. Who knows? But to me, there's still... In, there's, our research shows that the 60% of the world's fans, like cricket fans who call themselves cricket fans, like all three formats of the game. So it's worth keeping it going. Uh, one suggestion, this is slightly more um, minutiae of the game, I suppose, but one suggestion uh, trying to help the test game is, is this silly thing that often happens in England and perhaps nowhere else, but where people have the floodlights on mm. and then they, they, the teams go off for bad light yeah. because... The artificial light has overtaken natural light. Now, I, I, you know, this is exasperating as a commentator mm. and obviously a spectator particularly. Mm. And, we, you know, is there anything that can be done about that? Uh, I, I'm suggesting two things. Maybe a bit more uh, liberty about what the light needs to be mm. or using a pink ball. The pink ball has already over the last few years got much better than it used to be. So I don't see that that's that far off. Um, but the bottom line is, if you're on a bright sunny day, I don't know if you know the Lux figures and things like that, but if you're on a bright sunny day, the Lux level is something between 20,000 and 30,000 Lux. The best floodlights in the world are like 2,500, 3,000 Lux. So do me a favor, you just cannot see the ball as well as you do in, 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 in the daylight. Even towards the end of a day when, when everyone's saying, ooh, it's getting a bit dark, we're still talking about four or 5,000 Lux normally. So... Playing under floodlights with a red ball is not that easy. It's not going to be easy to bet. Whether we change to a pink ball, that might be the solution. The thing we've got to try and do, I think, though, is make sure that we do try and differentiate the three formats. And Test cricket is popular because it's traditional. It's in the white clothing. Yeah, people like the tradition of Test cricket. If, if we make it more like a razzmatazz thing, well or music in between overs, I'm sure we might chase away as many cricket fans 
test cricket fans as we do gain new ones. What one thing, very difficult question I'm sure, but, but what, is there one thing that would really help your job and the ICC's overall strategy? The, the most difficult aspect of cricket coming up is this clash between the T20 leagues and international cricket, especially test cricket. And unless we find a solution to that, uh, the game is going to suffer. So maybe if I just go back and answer that question again, I would say finding a solution to that issue, a balance between domestic T20 leagues, making sure that all our top players want to play international cricket and preferably want to play all three formats. So in a way, creating windows. Whether it's windows, whether it's... uh, some other type of regulation, I think it's a combination of all three, really. Incentives to, for players to play international cricket. If there's no context to the international games, people won't really want to play them or won't mind sitting out them. But if there's context to everything, if there's a prospect of a World Test Championship final at Lords to play in, I think it'll incentivize the players to, to play. OK, so that's Dave Richardson, the Chief Executive of the ICC, and more from them later this month. And I should just say, he, by the way, is a, he's a cricket man through and through, for those who don't know. He played for South Africa in the 1990s, 40-odd test matches, and his son actually plays for Durham. Right. So, you know, he's very in touch with the game and cares passionately about it. Good explanation on bad light. I think we should just play with the pink ball. We've talked about it before. If the light's not good enough, just swap play with a pink ball, keep the players out there. And then Dave talking about, well, moving forward ever so slightly on the prospect of having names on the shirts of players. That's one of your things. It is one of my things, yeah. I mean, people who know me know I bang on about it too much. But I bet you, go to Lords on Thursday, you say to, if you interviewed 100 people, you say, right, take me around the field, take me around this Pakistan fielding lineup. not one of them would be able to do it because... They're not. They're not very familiar. Some of the players will be well known to a UK audience, but some of the players are coming here for the first time. It'll be seen for the first time. Let people know who they are. It just brings the game alive. I'd love to do that experiment. Actually, I'd I'd love to do it. Take me. Take me. Come on, hundred people. Take me round the Pakistan fielders. Are you just saying that because you, you can't really see them from the commentary box and you're not sure he's fielded the ball? <laughs> he's, uh, it, there is a bit of self-interest in there, but I, I can tell you, even the greatest commentators that have commentated on the game, I know because I've listened to them. What, Henry, you mean? <laughs> I'm talking I'm talking Richie, Richie Benno. If you, if you ask Richie to go round the field, he would not be able to do it on every single occasion. Then this is, Richie was seen as one of the great television commentators. Everybody needs help because just in that moment... I mean, you know, from a selfish point of view, in that moment when someone runs to take a catch or there's a run out, you you know you want to get you want to nail that person. You want to know exactly who it is. But I just think you know when you go to your day's cricket, you just like to know who the people are who are playing. It's not really a a, a saving of the game. No, it's not. Motive, no, is it? But... No, it's not saving the game. But but in terms of in terms of making the game more accessible, it is. I mm. think I think it's, it's it's one way of of doing it, and also keeping players on the field. The, you know the light issue. Is another way of doing it. It's fascinating, though, to hear that you know even the best floodlights are nothing compared to even fairly average daylight at six o'clock at night. So someone need, needs to maybe make better floodlights, or we could end up playing Test cricket with the pink ball day and night. What about Dave's stat there? Sixty percent of people who are interested in cricket love all three formats formats of the game. Yeah, yeah, which is great, isn't it? One sort of really revealing stat, of course, as well, was the one and a half million people mm. who play the game 
outside the 12 full member countries. I mean, that is shocking that there's only one and a half million people playing well, you called in it the rest p- of the world. You called it pathetic. He called it tiny. He's probably being a bit more diplomatic than you. Well, it is pathetic, mm. really. And, 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 you know, with all these um, initiatives and the, the, the amount of coverage the game gets, and obviously the influence of the subcontinent, you would hope that more players would now be taking the game on. But it just shows what the problem with cricket is. is It's about resource and money and, and opportunity and facility. And until there is more of that kind of thing available, people are not going to play. Mm. Well, it'll be fascinating to see what the ICC actually are going to do the, the, the nuts and bolts to spread the game, to, to globalise the game. It's all very well to talk about and have eight points and, and, mm. and a strategy. But what, what are they actually going to do? And are they going to be able to do it as well, to go from 1.5 million people playing the game outside the full member countries to 10 million, which is what he, I think is the first goal. It'll also be fascinating to see how England and Pakistan uh, come up against each other on Thursday at Lords and, and whether England can uh, win a test match after, what, seven in the winter without victory. Yeah, and, and that's really the, the number one priority for them. It must be because... People are going to rapidly lose faith with England and the people who run England if they can't win some home test series, especially against a team like Pakistan, a very inexperienced batting order as well. So good luck to England. And we'll be bringing you a podcast every night after that two test series. I hope you'll be able to tune in to to the game and also to tune into our podcast. Thanks very much for listening. Yep, thanks for listening. We'll speak to you on Thursday. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.